Hello and welcome to another episode of Their Giants Podcast. I am your host, Roger Munter, and I am super stoked to have back with me again, Carlos Colazzo, who heads up draft coverage for Baseball America. Uh, I feel like we always try and get you on before drafts to talk about what might happen, and uh, we don't often take <laughs> enough time to to look back and assess what did happen. So I'm really happy to have you with me. Carlos, thanks for, thanks for taking some time to talk. How are things with you? They're good. Yeah. No worries at all. It's it's funny. I probably have less insightful things to say uh, before the draft and I get probably everything wrong. Um, but it is funny how the draft happens. And then especially on my side, where we're focused on draft year round. You, you're kind of just off to the next one. You don't really get a chance to to take a break and pause and and just review the draft and, and take a look over the entire draft class because it's a lot to absorb. Obviously, 20 rounds, maybe it's easier for like a team specific standpoint, maybe you guys right. have already gone over all these prospects. You've been able to follow them in their pro debuts, the guys who were able to get activated. But um, yeah, from my perspective, I do think it's tricky to to really put a draft class in context because um, we also don't want to just grade the draft class. That seems a little bit dishonest. We really need to wait three or four years, maybe even longer than that, to see which classes actually pan out well. But um, no, this Giants class is a fun one. And I'm happy to hop on here and chat about it with you. Yeah, I mean, that's so true. I, I just wrote something the other day where I was talking about, you know, looking back now, 2014 looks like a great draft for the Giants, uh, in large part because of what Logan Webb's become. But you wouldn't have thought that about that class for many, many years. You would have thought, oh, Tyler Beatty is a bust, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so it really <laughs> does take a while to come to come through. Where are, So what are you in your draft coverage now? What, what are you doing at this point? So right now, I'm actually working on our update for the 2024 draft list we have. We're going to update our top 100 to close out the year uh, and prepare for really preseason stuff next year, January, February, before the college season gets rolling. So I'm digging into a lot of 24 prospects that that you guys will come to know over the next few months or so, I imagine. Um, the 24 class so far yeah. is not shaping up as as exciting as the 23 class was. But again, like we just mentioned um, you never really know what's going to happen with the draft class. It's funny, 2019, that draft class, I feel like the entire time we were covering it, scouts were really kind of down on the depth of the class. They didn't think it was very strong overall. The pitching was really critiqued and ridiculed. And all of a sudden, if you look back at 2019, that draft class looks just phenomenal. Um, I mean, Gunnar Henderson, he just won a, uh, or was Gunnar Henderson 2019? Yeah, he was. He and Carol both were. And they just were unanimous. Yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah, sore subject. Of the with years and... <laughs> 20, 2019. Yeah, so we don't like players. to talk about 2019. <laughs> well, well anyway. a lot of other teams do, but maybe, maybe you guys can talk about 2023 in a few years. <laughs> so let's talk about 2023 now. So I know that you, you like this draft for the giants. Of course, that's why I brought you on because who wants to bring someone on to say <laughs> about how much they didn't like it. Um, so, so let's just kind of start with your overview. What popped for you about this class what made you so enthusiastic about kind of what the giants did in those three days this this year yeah i really feel like they wound up with i think you could argue three first round type talents um they obviously had a, a comp pick out of the second round so they had a little bit more ammunition to work with but if you're picking 16 52 and 69 and you've got three guys that i think have a case to be first round talents I'm probably going to like the class quite a bit. You start out with Bryce Eldridge at the top. I think he was a, a pretty consistent consensus uh, first-round talent, two-way player, maybe the best two-way player in the class, certainly the best two-way player in the class if you don't consider Paul Skeens, who really focused on pitching. 
And then Walker Martin slid to the second round. I thought for sure he was going to be a guy who was going in the first round on draft day. It seems like there were some medical questions that maybe helped allow him to slide, but I love his profile. It's one of the better athletes in the class. He is a little bit older, but Bobby Wood Jr., Brett Beatty, they were old for the class. As soon as these guys get into pro ball, they get to age-appropriate levels. I, I really think that critique goes away if you're performing. Um, and I love the swing. I love the sec- secondary tools. I love the athleticism. It's just a very well-rounded, complete profile. And then Joe Whitman is a guy who I thought had a chance to be the first college left-handed pitcher off the board. It was a notoriously down year for college lefties this year. Um, and if you look at Whitman's overall package and overall profile, I don't really find a lot of holes or a lot of um, nits to pick with him. It's an above average fastball. It's a plus slider. He has a solid changeup as well. He's shown above average control. It's a good body. It's a good delivery. Um, so starting off at the top, I really like all three of the first players. And then even as you go work down the board, if you base the Giants draft class off the BA 500, uh, we're going to come away really liking this class because there are a lot of players who, at least based on our board, which again, we'll see what it looks like in five years, um, looks pretty good. So I just think up top, I'm excited about the players. On depth, I'm excited about the players. On value, I'm excited about the players. Like all, all around, I, I feel like the more I look at this draft class, the more I like it. And Eldridge's pro debut only helps reinforce how much I like him. Yeah, and I want to, so we'll drill down into those players first. I'm just going to back up on something you said. Basically, you're talking about the value versus the way you guys lined them up so that you Mm -hmm. had guys taken, you had a guy at like number 100 on your board and they're taking them at 150, right? Uh, Down the line, is that what you mean? Exactly, yeah. So we really quickly after the draft ended, I think it was maybe a day or two after the third day was wrapped up, we did very brief draft reviews for every team and we try to put a theme on each draft class and the giants theme that I put on them was the BA draft board because they took Walker Martin at 52. We had him ranked number 24. They took Joe Whitman at 69. We had him ranked 35 again, just outside of first round range. And I think you can make a case. He's a first round talent. Um, they took Maui Ahuna at pick 117. We had him ranked 72. They picked Luke Schliger at pick 180. We had him ranked in the top 100 at 88. Jack Payton in the 11th round, they took him, with the 330th pick, we had him as the number 116 prospect on the board. And he also didn't get paid as much as I was expecting a guy like him in the 11th round to go. He only got paid $25,000 over basically what hits your cap on day three. So in terms of the money spent on these players, in terms of the rounds they selected them in, um, as, as the person who had a, a huge hand in putting together our draft rankings, it's hard, it's hard for me to see all that and then say, oh, I don't like the draft class. So, so I like it quite a bit. If you were really smart, then this is going to look great in a few years, basically. Yeah. If, if, if my reporting is good and the scouts who, who gave feedback for this are good, then I think this class will look good. And obviously that's the trickiest part about all this, who knows? But yeah, as of today, I'm, I love it. Was, so you mentioned Eldridge debut. One thing, you know, my listeners, my readers, we're, we're, we're hyper-focused mm-hmm. on Giants. We don't see the big picture. Uh, just tell us a little bit about how Eldridge debut compared to sort of his cohort of that that high school class uh, coming out this summer. Yeah. So I think Bryce Eldridge, I mean, you could have made a case for him prior to the draft that he had some of the best raw power of the high school class. I think his ability to tap into that in-game immediately against pro competition really stood out for him. Just in terms of the back of the baseball card statistics, it was a solid line, 294, 400, 505, six home runs, five doubles, a decent sample of games. And I think what was maybe most impressive, two things really stood out to me, the, the chase rates overall, just his swing decisions 
um, were very solid. I'd say above average for a player who's just coming out of high school. And I think it's particularly nice to see just because he does have some swing and miss concerns. I don't think he's going to be this guy that makes a ton of contact. Uh, there are long levers he's going to have to worry about. And so if you do have those swing and miss issues, the fact that you're swinging at the right pitches consistently right. and the fact that you have massive power, I think can allow him to be a really impactful offensive player because his power is tremendous. Now, once they're in pro ball, we get a better, uh, we get better data on some of these high school players and his exit velocity numbers really are they're along the lines of like some of the more impressive college hitters players who are three years his senior players who are much more along their physical development so it, it just sort of reinforces the power upside that that we were excited about with him in high school you see it in batting practice you see it against high school pitchers but to see it immediately translate to pro ball i think just adds a lot of conviction to his offensive profile and it certainly makes me want him to just forget about the pitching focus on hitting right now <laughs> And, and become like this Matt Olson type first baseman who I really, that's a comp I've used a lot recently. And I think it's a decent one. Um, yeah. I, I really just think his upside offensively is so significant. I'd rather him get as many ABs and focus on hitting as, as much as he can. I don't know where, where you are at with that or where giants fans are with that because the two way thing is obviously exciting, but I just feel like it's so rare to actually be a two way player at the major league level. And I'm so high on his hitting that that's kind of where I land. I mean, that was going to be my next question for you. I, I, I was I was in Arizona recently and I, I, I dropped by Papago and I noticed they had him with a, a, a group of outfielders chasing down fly balls. And, I, you know, I, I kind of feel the more serious they are about getting them comfortable in right field, the less we're likely to see him on the mound. And I know they like him better as a hitter. So, I mean, that's he wants to pitch and I mean, they'll try and accommodate that. But it's pretty clear that they're yeah. excited about the offensive potential of this guy. And like you say, if you're going to have those long levers, you don't want to make things worse by going out of the zone. And they're pretty excited about the way he stays in the zone right now. I want to, yeah, I, I, I really want to talk to you about Walker Martin because he's, you know, we're very reactive fans are reactive. And so we saw Bryce Eldridge. You can get <laughs> excited about him. We didn't see Walker Martin. So then he becomes this more of a mystery, but I know you're pretty high on him. And I was recently talking with somebody in the giants organization who had some, pretty eye-popping things to say uh, about about him as an athlete. Um, but why don't you give mm. us sort of the reports that you gathered on this guy and what, what makes him so exciting to you? Yeah, the first time I saw Walker Martin, I believe it was at the Area Code Games last summer, which is one of the bigger events for high school players. Um, and he really just stood out for his hitting ability at that event for me. The swing was very balanced. It was very controlled. It was very quiet. Um, just watching him live, it, it was a swing that jumped out to me right, right away. I think his results and performance at that event were strong as well. And then going back over the video and watching it again in slow-mo and just diving into it a little bit more, I just really liked the swing more and more as I saw it. At that point, like the tools were pretty obviously solid, really all across the board. He was turning in above average or plus run times. It was solid power and batting practice. Uh, he showed really good actions defensively. He just looked like a player who was very well-rounded um, uh, and led by a hit tool that I had a lot of conviction in, had a lot of confidence in. He had an outstanding spring season. I think he was, I don't think, I mean, I know since we gave out the award, he was in consideration for our high school player of the year award. It was just a tremendous offensive campaign. He led all high school hitters with 20 home runs. You can nitpick his uh, competition. There are other players in the country that were facing better competition, but he did what he needed to do in the spring. He dominated. Um, and then as we got more information on his athletic ability, 
he really stood out as maybe one of the more impressive raw athletes in the class, along with like Walker Jenkins out of North Carolina, who was one of the first high school players off the board. Like his athletic testing numbers are are pretty significant. I'm I'm sure that's what, what you heard from the Giants official yeah. that you were talking with. I mean, just his ability to move, his ability to generate power at his size, I think it's just a really special combination. And when you layer that onto what I think is a pretty solid um, offensive approach and hitting ability at a premium position, again, like the only knock on him that I can see is the age and whatever injury concerns he had prior to the draft. I don't have any details on that. I imagine that maybe is why he wasn't activated. If he was dealing with some sort of back issue or something, I don't, I don't want to put anything out there that that's not official, but um, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know how he fell this far. Obviously he got paid over slot. He got $3 million in the second round. So he still got paid what a late first rounder is worth. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a really complete profile with a lot of traits to, to like. Yeah. I mean, the things I've heard are basically he's, he's one of the most explosive sort of strengths plus speed guys in the organization that they, they like the frame. They like the body. They think there's a lot, a lot of uh, good strength to come of that. They think he'll be explosive enough to stay in the middle of the diamond. Basically all the things you can kind of want from a, from an athlete. And um, if you, if you're, if you're deep into giants, baseball athlete and athleticism is something you hear a lot these days, mostly in terms of, we need more of it. Uh, so it's, it's really good to get a guy like this into the system. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess I'll just ask following on that sort of once we get past him and there's a whole bunch of college guys, who are the athletes uh, of, of this, of this class, the sort of guys you can look at and say, there's some, there's some premium tools there. Yeah. In terms of premium tools or athleticism, I mean, the, those two at the top, I think would, would be standouts. I think Maui Ahuna is a really impressive athlete, the fourth rounder out of Tennessee. He really had a disappointing offensive season. And I think there are real concerns offensively, but in terms of defensive profile or defensive tools overall, it's probably the guy in this class that has the loudest tool set. I mean, we have plus defense and plus arm strength on him. He's really fun to watch in the field. I think the swing itself is aesthetically pleasing. It's like a nice fluid swing. Um, there are just some contact questions with him. He can get a little bit steep at times offensively, but in, in terms of pure athleticism, how he moves around the field, um, he would be up there. I don't think he's quite as strong or as explosive as Walker Martin, certainly not at the same age. He's a little bit uh, thinner, not quite as physical um, as Martin is. Um, I think Scott Bendura is a pretty solid athlete as well. Um, he's maybe not the best runner in the world, but he really turns in impressive um, exit velocities and batter ball data. He's got solid power. So he's kind of interesting uh, moving down the list further. I think those are the guys who would jump out immediately in terms of just athletes. I mean, it, it, it's hard to it's hard to be louder than the first two guys and then Ahuna <laughs> in terms of just athletes on the field. I, I'm not sure that anyone else jumps out. Maybe one of these pitchers is kind of a sneaky good athlete that I'm sleeping on because I, I do think people tend to focus on the hitters for athletes. Yeah. But even if you're just thinking about like body control and how you move through space, you can, you can be pretty good as a pitcher. None of the other guys really jump out to me though, in terms of that one. Yeah. Athleticism sort of translates differently in pitchers and hitters, and it's easier to see in hitters obviously, because they get to run around. Um, yeah, you yeah. mentioned Ahuna. There's, there's a, uh, it looks like an interesting sort of roster puzzle coming uh, at least at the beginning of the year. I suspect that kind of all of those, 
two through five guys, uh, Martin, Ahuna, Cole Foster, Quinn McDaniel uh, as well. They could end up all on one roster in San Jose to start the year. <laughs> uh, if You know, if Foster maybe had a little more success in his his debut in San Jose, I could see bumping him. But I wouldn't be surprised if, if that group of players all ends up on the San Jose roster together. If you were mm. making out lineups with that group, how would you think about apportioning a playing time or spreading the uh, the talent around? Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think I would prioritize Walker Martin's shortstop reps just as an organization. Like he, he is the hitter that you invested the most money in. I think he has the best chance to become like a sort of franchise player or an above average everyday player. All these other guys, if they become that, I, I think it's a really great outcome and not one that you're really expecting. Um, so if they're all on the same team, I think I'd put Walker Martin at, Martin at shortstop. I would want Ahuna to play either third base or second base. Maybe if, if he still doesn't take huge steps forward offensively, he can add value as sort of a super utility infield type. I think he has the ability to play all over the infield, his actions. Um, I mean, the fact that he's a plus defensive shortstop, he has the arm strength for third base. I think he has the range uh, necessary for second base in the post-shift world. Um, so I would have him at either third base or second base, maybe bouncing back and forth between the two. The same for Cole Foster. Um, I think I would move him around. I don't think he's, especially among this group, uh, I think he would be pushed off the position. I think he has a chance to stick there and be fine there, but he's more likely to be this like super utility type that moves around maybe more dependent on like who else is on the team necessarily than just like the defensive value he'll be able to add like a Huna could be. And then with Quinn McDaniel, I think talking with scouts, like we heard from some scouts who thought he might be intriguing in the outfield just because he is a, a pretty good runner. Yeah. So I might test that out and see how that looks, depending on what other outfitters you have on the roster. Because if if he can play shortstop, if he can play second base, if he can play center field, like all those are, are pretty valuable defensive positions. So I might do something like that. But I think everything would start with Walker Martin getting the shortstop reps. Uh, and if you quickly find out that he's not going to play the position, put him at third um, and just move Huna back to shortstop. And the other two guys, um, they, they wouldn't be as... I wouldn't be killing myself to give them shortstop reps <laughs> over these other two. I'd say, and that makes sense to me. Uh, Martin was a was a was a football player in high school as well. Is he? Did that take time away from his baseball development? Is he one of those guys where you can see being uh, a more of a late bloomer because he was wasn't concentrating on baseball coming up through the showcase circuit? Yeah, I think he was definitely less known coming into the summer than some other players, potentially. The fact that he's a West Coast kid also maybe adds to that. But he really never looked like sort of this raw athlete who's kind of learning how to play baseball in the field, which is, I think, why everyone was so high on him. He was very skilled. Uh, he had an advanced approach. Like, he did everything well. So I think the football aspect of me would make me more excited about just the raw athleticism that, that you can see in the testing data and that you can see in his multi-sport background, how, how talented a football player he actually was. So I, I would just get excited about like what that sort of athletic upside could mean for his ceiling as a player, more so than any like polish or skill he'll add now that he's not focusing on baseball. Cause I think he already is quite, quite skilled and quite polished. I mean, we ranked him, pretty high for a reason. So I think it's an like it's like an intriguing element, but I wouldn't think of him I wouldn't think of him as like a Deuce Robinson type who is like a freak football player. And so when he focuses on baseball, there's this right. massive step that he's going to make. I, I think he was just already pretty advanced as a baseball player. 
Yeah, I'm more kind of on the lines of a of a of a teenage Brandon Crawford, who was also a a, a star yeah. high school football player, but uh, obviously yeah. a very accomplished baseball player. That um, can make sense. But uh, before I turn to the pitching, I do want to go back to McDaniel a little bit because he I've heard him popping up in a lot of different conversations. Some of them are sort of like model based conversation, like uh, your colleagues, Jeff Ponce and and and, and Dylan White will <laughs> kind of come up with uh, Quinn McDaniel. But then you get some interesting scouting reports on him, too. Uh, you know, what do the Giants have in the in, in, in this kid? They've, they've gone to this northeast bucket a lot in the last few drafts and come up with some interesting athletes. Yeah, that's that's kind of fascinating. I don't know if I knew off the top of my head that they'd gone to the the Northeast that frequently. But in McDaniel, they've got a very patient hitter. Um, he doesn't chase out of the zone often. He doesn't really swing all that often in general. Um, it's a bit of an odd swing. Uh, and so I imagine these are all traits that maybe peg him as this sort of analytical guy because it doesn't really look super electric or crazy when you see it. But he walks a ton. I think he's pretty consistently walked more than he's struck out. The fact that he stays within the zone models definitely like those strong swing decisions. Um, so I think you've got like this offensive minded OBP driven solid hitter who just depending on how the profile pans out, what sort of power he gets to is really going to drive what sort of value he has. Um, is he going to be a good enough defender uh, to make that profile play as an everyday type? Is he going to add enough power to where he can play a number of different positions that aren't necessarily up the middle uh, those are all questions that I would have for him moving forward. But you also have the speed element with him as well. He's been a good base runner. It's probably above average speed. Um, so he does a lot of things really well. And maybe he's the type of player who doesn't have the sort of physical tools that a Walker Martin or Bryce Eldridge could have, but it's just really good at at maximizing the talent uh, and the physical ability that he does have. Um, so it's a fascinating hitter. Uh, I don't know that I necessarily tie him to the Giants historically, but it does seem like they were pretty, uh, pretty aggressive with with the model this year. So maybe that makes some sense. Yeah, they, they have been using more and more of the model, and I think it's J.P. Ricciardi, who's a you know a Massachusetts guy who gets all all these all these Northeast guys in there. They've you know Nick Senecola yeah. came from Maine a couple of years ago. Ryan Murphy, Chris Wright, they've they've really been piling on them up lately. Um, so speaking of which, uh, let's let's turn to the arms. Um, I feel like a couple of years ago, I said that the the Giants organization was really, really shallow in left-handed pitching. Um, and maybe that's just the industry. Maybe everybody feels that way. Uh, but they've certainly tried to address that through the draft. Uh, the last few years, they've taken a lot of left-handed pitching at the top of drafts. Um, some successful, some some less successful. Uh, but obviously, the last two years in that sort of second, third round, we've got Carton, Carson Wisenhunt. Uh, we've got Joe Whitman. Um, you, you talked a little bit about him. I know he's, he's got an interesting background because he moved around a little bit and this year was, was his first breakout year. And then he had a great standing on the Cape. Um, when I see him pitch, he's, he, he looks like a really thin framed kid. So he seems like someone who's pretty projectable and, and should be going upwards from here. Is that, is that Mm. the trend line with Whitman? Uh, I think so. I mean, there's a chance he could add some more velocity. I mean, he averaged 92 this spring already in college. He's got a clean delivery. He's got a fast arm. I never thought of him like as a massively projectable guy, but he is six foot five, 200. So he certainly can add some good strength to that frame. Um, so yeah, I think that that could be a good point. Like if he can get more towards his peak velocity more consistently, that could be a nice addition that could help everything kind of play up, add more power to his slider, which is already a plus pitch, but I really think of him as 
a fairly polished, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm really curious, I guess I'll say what Whitman does. Cause I just don't understand how he fell mm-hmm. this far. I, I'm waiting for like to see why, I mean, his pro debut was good. I think he's a good, I think he's a good pitcher with a three pitch mix. I just don't know what the question mark is with him, especially the draft class he was taken in. It, again, it was a really bad left-handed pitching class this year on the college side. And to your point, college or left-handed pitchers in general are a commodity. Those These guys are hard to find. And you've got a guy in Whitman who took a massive step forward in 2023. He had a 2.56 ERA, 30% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate. He looked good in the Cape prior to the draft, which I think is part of the reason why we kept slowly pushing him up our board throughout the spring. He was a consistent riser. I'm not sure where we had him entering the year. He probably wasn't even on our top 200 entering the year, but he consistently posted. He showed that he could start. Um, he has a 3000 RPM breaking ball from the left side. That's a plus pitch. He's got a change up that could be solid average. He's got what I think is above average control. Like again, I just really, <laughs> I don't understand how the giants were able to sign him here with the 69th overall pick. I, I mean, I guess I'll I'll be proven wrong if she's not good, but I like Carson Wisnahunt quite a bit. I like Joe Whitman quite a bit. So I like the lefties there. They're getting to fall to them at this point. Was he was he your top left or your top college left-hander on the board? It was either Joe Whitman or Hunter Owen at Vanderbilt. I'll pull up our board right now and just see who we had ranked higher. But I, I think it was one of those two. Um, and near the end, Hunter Owen had some injury concerns he missed a little bit of time throughout the spring so if if Whitman wound up being the highest that that wouldn't shock me at all hang on I'm checking our board just so I can he wasn't the the top left-handed pitcher overall we had um Thomas White right who was our our top but in in terms of college lefty I gotta go to a different list just because I can't command f for left-handed pitcher right here but yeah, I'm I'm curious if you guys are with me for Whitman in terms of how excited you are about him because I feel like I've I've done nothing but rave about him since he's been taken. And again, the pro debut was good. But here I got I've got our lefties up. We had Thomas White ranked 19. He was a high school left-handed pitcher. Then we had Joe Whitman ranked 35. So top uh college lefty. Um, then we have Cam Johnson, Alexander Clemmy, two more high school lefties, Paul Wilson, another high school lefty, and then Hunter Owen at 58, who is our next college left-handed pitcher. So yeah, it's <laughs> it's crazy good value in my mind to get him at 69 for eight hundred thousand. Yeah, I, I was on the the call with Michael Holmes the night of the draft, uh, and I would say he was flabbergasted that that Whitman was sitting there, and he kept repeating it the next two nights that that was like yeah. the surprise of the draft for them that that he fell into their laps there. Maybe um, he's maybe he's one of these guys who doesn't have crazy riding fastball, and so all these analytics teams were out on him. But I I just feel like that is ridiculous to let him get this far. <laughs> After Whitman, there's there's a bunch of arms and and mostly they're guys who sort of bounced around various colleges in their career. Uh, can you sort of help me separate these out? Who who do I want to be looking at amongst the arms in this mm. class uh, going forward? Uh, and I guess I maybe mean, one question is, is: Are there starters in this group, or or uh, do yeah. you see a lot of relief arms uh, coming in the day two, day three people? I think probably more reliever arms. I mean, this was a pretty hitter heavy draft for the Giants. They didn't take another pitcher until the eighth round and Josh Bostick. Um, he's pretty exciting. He's got really interesting traits on the fastball. So uh, it was 94, 98, uh, good miss rate in the Cape, good miss rate overall in junior college. Uh, I think in our draft report card, we had him 
Um, yeah, I think above average ride and carry on that fastball. Yeah. So maybe one of the better pitches overall in this draft class, if you're, I don't know, like the rest of the industry, I guess, lighter on Joe Whitman's breaking ball. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Ryan Vanderhey, he, he's got intriguing stuff. He's got a fastball that gets into the upper nineties. He's got a slider that he's gotten good results with. Um, it's mostly a two pitch mix. I think the fastball shape and just the results against that pitch, you probably want to improve. The walk rate was a little bit high. And so you probably have a reliever risk with him. Timmy Manning in the 12th round, he's a guy who had some pedigree pedigree going back to high school. He's probably one of the players you mentioned that's bounced around a little bit. I think Dylan Carmouche, a left-handed pitcher at Tulane, has some interesting traits. Um, he's a guy we ID'd as, as just kind of an intriguing sleeper in the past. But yeah, if any of these other guys pop, I think it'll be a credit to giant scouting and player development. I'm not sure what your expectations are for those guys. Um, outside of outside of Whitman, I think Bossick is the most intriguing um, because he's got so much raw talent and pure stuff in the tank. And just how much is he going to make of that moving forward, getting out of a JUCO environment, getting into pro ball, uh, getting with a pro development uh, group who can maybe – refine the delivery a little bit. If he can profile as a starter, I think it's really exciting. I'm not sure how the Giants view him internally, um, but there is plenty of arm talent there. And they obviously uh, thought that he was a talented pitcher, giving him 400,000 basically in the eighth round. Yeah, he did not pitch much this summer, but I I did see uh, maybe his first outing. And as you say, the the characteristics on the fastball were were kind of mm-hmm. off the charts. The the rise was uh, was was eye popping. Uh, there was a lot of stuff there. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's best with with uh, Giants drafts not to have expectations for these guys because somebody's going to kind of pop out. We you know we've seen yeah. the Land, Landon Roop or Hayden Birdsong people uh, do some pretty amazing things in that second year, uh, and it's always fun to see which one's going to pop out. Um, mm-hmm. There's a there's a non drafted guy I actually want to ask you about uh, before I before we finish up today. Uh, one of the undrafted free agents they signed uh, was a kid named Bo Davidson. Um, mm. who looked kind of like an interesting athlete. Uh, I think he was a JC guy and I think he was a multi-sport guy. Um, do you, what are you, do you have any reports on him? What's uh, he's a North Carolina guy. So maybe close to home, you might, you might have some sources on him. <laughs> what can you tell us about yeah, that? We, we didn't know much about him prior to the draft, but I do know from talking with the giants, like this is a guy that they're really excited about. Um, he was a solid performer out of Caldwell junior college. Um, he slashed 286, 397, 469. His exit velocity in the Arizona Complex League apparently was good. I don't have that on my hands exactly, but he does sound like a good athlete. Um, again, I don't know what your expectations are for him moving forward. He's a non-drafted free agent, so they should be quite low if he turns into any sort of major league value. That's a huge win. Um, but he's 20 years old, so he's a little bit younger compared to most of these college guys as a junior college player. Um, and the fact that he sounds like a good athlete and he hits the ball hard um, are two exciting things to to point towards and to maybe get excited about. I don't have a ton of information on him outside of that, but there were only a few teams that had uh, not Juco, but but NDFA players who they were most excited about as their best day three pick in our draft report cards. And Bo Davidson was one of those. So he's intriguing to me just from the sense that I don't know a ton about him, but he sounds like an early kind of sleeper player to monitor. Um, and the fact that they were able to get him again as an NDFA, the whole Giants draft class, I, I don't understand how they got some of these guys. So maybe Bo <laughs> Davidson is another that that even we were were too light on. So it'll be fun I, I to like, see what happens with him. 
I like hearing you you keep repeating that, Carla. So hopefully we'll be saying this again in next year. It's like, oh, how did how did they get these guys? Uh, yeah, you know, that, three years that was... you can say so. Why did you lie to me about the Giants draft class? It's not any good. <laughs> <laughs> we are definitely not bringing you on for that for that podcast. Um, and, and so, well, uh, Carlos, I really appreciate you taking some time to come come talk about the draft. And next year we are going to have you come back to talk about how right you were uh, at this point. <laughs> If I can just hit on one of these guys, I'll be happy and I'll be happy to come back and, and talk about that player and no one else who I missed on. Oh, <laughs> uh, what do you what do you got cooking these days? What are you going to see see come out from you? I know you're you're podcasting, you're you're writing up reports. Mm. You uh, just finished up the fall season. Uh, what do we have to look forward to you from you uh, in the near future? Yeah, so we've got a future projection podcast. That's with me and Ben Badler. That's every week. Comes out most Fridays. Uh, me and Peter Flaherty do a draft podcast every week. So if you want more podcasts from me, those two places, uh, Future Projection and just the Baseball America podcast. And then on the writing side, we've got our, our 24 Top 100 update coming out soon if you want to get a head start on next year's draft class. Um, and then just Prospect Handbook stuff. So the whole staff is working on our annual Prospect Handbook I do the Braves chapter, so I need to get that wrapped up here in the next few weeks, uh, so my editors don't don't kill me. But um, <laughs> we've got top tens rolling out. I think the uh, the Giants top ten actually should be coming out in the near future. I believe we're on NL Centrals right now, so NL West is next up. Um, so so Giants top ten updated list should be on the website within a week i would say of, of this podcast uh if you're listening right now so that's yeah, what i got coming it's, up. it's very exciting because traditionally the giants are basically the last one to drop and it's always mm -hmm. like in january or something because you do the nl west last so i'm, I'm glad to see the yeah NL we, NL we we changed some things this year with the publication schedule of the magazine and that made more sense to just to go one entire league first so that the nl uh, was just a lucky league this year. I, I don't know what we're going to do next year, if it's like always going to be NL first. Or I imagine we're just going to make American League first next year. So so the AL West teams aren't aren't just perpetually pissed at us. <laughs> well, I, I'm very excited about it. And and it's it's the Bible of uh, of of baseball prospect and development baseball for a reason, uh, because you got great talent doing great work. And I appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of all that work to come talk Giants with us. Uh, thanks, Carlos. And uh, thanks to all my listeners for listening. I'll be back uh, after Thanksgiving with another podcast. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Thanks, Carlos. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.